I don't think I'm a patient person. I think I'm pretty impatient. Really? Yeah. Um, definitely, I've become more patient as I get older. Um, but it's like going from a four to a five out of ten. Four, four out of five impatientness or patientness? Yeah. Uh, towards patience, right? Like I'm getting more patient, but the improvement is very minuscule. Oh I, yeah, yeah. You're you're right in the middle. I bet. Five out of ten. What about David? I have zero patience for incompetence. Oh. <laughs> now I want to I want to explain that because that sounds like I just Dad? have. <laughs> it just sounds like I'm I, I'm just frustrated all the time. But it, well, being a friend with Jake, you would be. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice job, friend. You're not wrong. <laughs> Bye now. But if I, it, for me, it's if I feel like somebody has the capability of doing something and they're not doing it, I get impatient because I feel like they should be like, it's like simple tasks should be accomplished by them. It, that I feel like they can do. But if it's something that I know someone struggles with, I have a lot more patience for them because I understand that they're not capable of doing it and that you need to be hmm. more patient with them. But if it's something that I feel like they should be able to do regularly, like it's not a hard task, I get impatient because I feel like they're just being dumb. Hmm. If that makes <laughs> How sense. How could you tell if if something's hard for someone or they're like, you can never tell if someone's trying their hardest. Well, I mean, so, so let's take, for example, like communication, like you should be able to communicate what you want or simple things, or even just like, if someone doesn't text you back and when you directly ask them a question and you know they check their phone all the time, like that's like, that makes me mad. Oh, they're leaving you on read. Yes. Like, I don't know. If I ask you a question, like, are you able to do this thing on this day at this time? And they don't like answer or they take like 10 years to answer. I get annoyed. I don't know. I feel like. Let that's... it be known that David was 15 minutes late to start this recording. <laughs> All right, Mr. Rescheduled like four times today. Oh, man. I feel like I'm pretty patient. Like, I don't know. I just, my goal is to be as happy as I can be. And the people, like impatient people are just incredibly unhappy. And so I've just tried to rewire my brain the best I can to just be like, no, give give people the benefit of the doubt. Like, just chill and life's a lot better, you know, man? It's much... (laughs) Oh. Much better, man. Have you ever done DMT? <laughs> I've only done DMG. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 37, Initiative. David, wait your turn. First, first let's talk about what is Initiative. Hang on, there's the um, globe on my desk I'm removing. Uh, Shouldn't that be a flat map? Dude, I should get like a, a freaking <laughs> square flat earth. Yeah, what a, what what is that doing on your desk, Will? I thought, you know, you knew the earth was flat. I believe in the NASA propaganda. Call me a apologist. I just think that NASA Sheep. has some great ideas. The earth is hollow. The moon is flat. <laughs> the moon. <laughs> moon. Okay. All right. Time All right. is a square circle. It's a flat circle. You never even watch the show. Square circle. <laughs> It's a square ho- hexagon. <laughs> Time is a green trapezoid. 
Um, first, let's talk about what initiative is, and then we can get into the details about uh, about how to make it better. David, uh, explain initiative to me like I was a little baby. Like you're a little baby? You know what I mean. <laughs> so as I would normally, is what you're saying. Oh. oh. <laughs> Shut <Oof>. through the <laughs> So initiative is a way of tracking how a person acts in combat and the order in which they would go. So in real combat, some people might be more proactive and be able to get the jump and act further or more quickly than others. So to model that, we have the system of initiative. Yes, that's. I think that's a great overview. Um, what I'm thinking is D&D, it seems like, is a pretty real-time game. As yes. real-time as any fiction could be. Like, mm-hmm. if you're reading a book, you don't think of it as being turn-based. No. But when you get into a combat encounter, out of necessity, it seems like, the game slows down to this yep. weird, like, bullet-time matrix scene and everybody like you know you can see the final fantasy menus being selected <laughs> and um and they're just choosing what to do it's kind of like in a movie when like in infinity war i love going to it because it's a great movie but it's also, re- it's really balanced as a film yeah, oh. perfectly balanced <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it, you you get to see each character the the focus is on each character momentarily so you'll see star lord you know jumping through a portal or you'll see Spider-Man, you know, dancing over Thanos and shooting him with webs. Or you'll see Doctor Strange casting a weird spell. And it just, the focus shifts each time. And initiative is essentially like a very similar system. And it does that to model combat. So we kind of get a picture of what's going on. It's Because <laughs> it, it's, it's a very cinematic way of doing things. Because in real life, things would all be happening at the same time. And there's no way of really... Maybe, capturing that very well maybe in a larp or something where you have people moving simultaneously but mm-hmm. like obviously a person can't speak with two voices at once like a gm can't be like narrating and responding to everyone talking at the same time yeah though i would love to see that hmm. maybe, maybe with ai in the future oh holodeck yeah i'm so yeah initiative for me it seems like when you're when you're role playing something really incredible and like someone, you know, draws their gun or, you know, there's like all this stuff happening simultaneously. Like it's like peak improv. That is so satisfying. But to go from that, like, okay, I draw my gun and it goes, all right, roll initiative. It's like the tension is just flattened under the weight of monotony. And suddenly everyone's rolling their dice. And I get that that's fun. And that gets into the crunchy gaminess that a lot of people like. But for me, uh, initiative is just the start of the clunkiness of combat. Um, and I think David, what you were saying, it's like, oh, it's kind of like that, that fight scenes in Marvel movies, except it would be like that if the camera was on one character for six seconds at a time and the shifted to another one, it would feel like yeah. robotic and clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't be cinematic. It wouldn't be smooth. No. Um, and, and that's why, I don't know. I haven't really played like initiative has just been kind of a necessary evil for 5e. Um, but one thing that really, um, blew my mind when i would think back about it is super random uh does not have initiative no right and isn't that that's really weird how well that system worked without initiative and there's obviously problems of shy people uh just not speaking up and their character basically just stands still for a minute um Mm -hmm. but yeah it, it it seemed to work with the the several groups i played it with like without initiative like people it it flowed more naturally than 
than people would think. So I'll, I'll explain why, and that's because it's more of a storytelling game. So when you're focusing on the cinematic, it, it kind of naturally flows to have some characters naturally rise to the forefront and others not as much. You have a lot of... So, for instance, like Drax in uh, Infinity War doesn't show up as much, but he still shows up and he does his part and has his fun little jokes every once in a while. But he's not going to be at the front every single fight. So that's that's kind of how it flows. But 5v is more of... It tries to balance the game aspects as well as role-playing. So in order to do so, you need to have more crunchy rules saying, well, each person gets the same amount of time to to make it fair so that everyone has an equal opportunity to act and have fun and play the game equally while still providing some sort of cinematic, you know, nuance to it. Mm-hmm. I think the reason Super Random works without initiative is because Super Random is improv loosely bound in a superhero rule set. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's much more of a conversation uh, or a social activity. And as far as games go, um, you're not really trying to win Super Random. In fact, the worst... I have had one negative Super Random experience out of like the 15 or 20 times I've played it. And um, that was because the players were competing with each other and competing with me, the GM, trying to be the most powerful versions. And in a game where it's it's almost like um, when people are playing Cops and Robbers, it's the same problem. Um, because it's just whatever I say goes. And D&D is trying to be much more of a game, obviously. We got... Uh, three very thick rule books describing every in and out of um, of the game. And so that is initiative thick. basically made to stop problem players. I think so. Yes. I, like hmm. any, if, if you think of sports, um, and, and you think of how a sport developed over time, like hockey, for instance. I love this idea oh. of a couple of Canadian kids like slapping um, a cow pie or something across ice. <laughs> And then over time, like the the goals get redefined and the and the rules get refined until eventually you have a very tight, well, not that tight, but you have a, a real game, real sport. Yeah, that's such a good point. Like every um, rule in real life has like a problem person behind it. Mm-hmm. Like I I saw in an airport one time it said um, no smoking or holding cigarettes. Which implied oh. that there was a guy who was smoking and someone came up to him and said, you can't do that. And he goes, oh, no, I'm just holding this lit cigarette. <laughs> I'm not smoking. <laughs> so they had to make – change the sign to say no smoking or holding cigarettes. <laughs> and so it, it does show that like, yeah, I guess philosophically every rule is in response to a previous like problem player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's to, ma- it's to make the game more fair and to, yeah. to provide – you know, balance for all the players. I think of like a, some of the problems that you might encounter in sports is like in basketball, someone might hog the ball or soccer, or, you know, whatever game like that. And with initiative, it really provides room for each player to shine individually in combat yeah. and for them to do something impactful. And for not just one person to say, oh, I'm going to cast these 20 spells in a row. Ha ha ha. I've done everything. Yeah. I, you know? I think for me, I often will surprise myself like, oh, I'll realize that combat has been happening. Um, maybe it broke out of a social encounter or something. But combat is happening, and I never said roll initiative. Hmm. Like it just kind of flowed naturally. Um, but then when when you know the the wizard starts casting several spells, I go okay, okay, okay. <laughs> now I need to okay, everyone roll initiative. Um, so it really is kind of for me. It kind of flows naturally. But then when I go okay, now we need to. Uh, make fared this up we need to to even this out and now roll initiative just to make sure no one gets op yeah 
Um, so do you have something else? Yeah, gonna I was also going to say initiative also isn't just for the players, but it's also for the game master to make sure that the players know that the monsters can also act so that you don't mm-hmm. have all of the players constantly acting, acting, acting so that you can actually kind of do damage to them or interact with them or provide interesting in- situations for them so that there's a dynamic between the thing that they're interacting with and the yeah. thing that they're interacting with, you know, doing something interesting. Mm-hmm. So my question is, are you happy with how initiative works in 5e? Uh, like I said earlier, I think it's a necessary evil. <laughs> I say evil because like I'm just this, you know, crazy thespian role player that just wants to really just it, do interactive Shakespeare. Um, and so it's in order to have any semblance of a game initiative is just um, essential. Like I said, my combats tend to flow naturally. And then I will say roll initiative, like maybe even like a turn or two in um, when I sense things need a little more uh, uh, structure. Hmm. Um, but no, I, I've used, I don't know. I, I, I think it's malleable enough that you can, um, it, it's a necessary evil that I think it doesn't, it's not a detriment too much at all. Hmm. So uh, I'm going to go through some other systems later in the episode, Jake, and I think um, you're going to hear some things that you like a lot. I think I will too. Well, before we go talking about other ways to do it, let's talk about how it's actually done. So if you want to follow along, turn to chapter nine in your uh, turn to chapter nine in your player's handbook and follow along at home. So there's some very specific rules here. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Holler, will this be on the test? Uh, only if you want to play and win D&D correctly. That, we all know if you're playing the rules wrong, then you're not having fun. And you're not winning. You just created David. Like, that's how David was born. <laughs> He's just born out of... A power gamer villain just walks out of the classroom. Those like, words were spoken, and then I popped into existence. <laughs> with, like... Um, out of the a, ether. A binder in one hand, and... Oh, uh, a calculator in the other. Where? <laughs> 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 rules! Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> That'd be a great villain who just knows the game better than your your player characters, and he like oh has all these gosh. edge scenarios, Ed Ed Sheeran areas. Oh oh oh! No, Ed that... Sheeran flavored Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> I'd buy those. How do we get? Where am I? <laughs> um. Anyway, so the most misunderstood rule I think of initiative is the idea of the surprise round. It might surprise you to hear, it surprised me, that there is no such thing as a surprise round in 5th edition. What? Yep. No. It's not a thing. That's that's a variant? No, that is the official rule. If you're playing with surprise rounds, you're not following the rules. Is that a variant that's like, uh, is it is it in the player's handbook though? No. That just seems universal. Okay, so I'm going to read the surprise text, and for the gentle listener following at home, um, make sure you're sitting down, because you're about to be shocked and you might pass out. So here's what it says. <clears throat> a band of adventurers sneaks up on a bandit camp, springing from the trees to attack them. A gelatinous cube glides down a dungeon passage, unnoticed by the adventurers until the, col- the cube engulfs one of them, likely David. In these situations, one side of the battle gains surprise over the other. Actually, take it back. David would never let himself be surprised. <laughs> the DM determines who might be surprised. If neither side tries to be stealthy, they automatically notice each other. Otherwise, the DM compares the dexterity stealth checks of anyone hiding with the passive wisdom perception scores of each creature on the opposing side. Any creature or monster that doesn't notice a threat is surprised at the start of the encounter. If you're surprised, you can't move or take an action on the first round of combat, and you can't take a reaction until that turn ends. 
A member of the group can be surprised even if the other members aren't. So it's what? just the first real round of initiative, and you're either surprised or you're not. So essentially, if you're surprised, that means you're stunned, mm-hmm. which means you're not able to take actions. Yeah. So it's it's not like you get an extra surprise round. It's just that the enemies are unable to take actions on that first round if they are, in fact, surprised. Or players, sometimes. That or makes players, sense. Yeah, yeah I, I like it. it it's... Yeah, it's the same amount of steps. It's kind of just in a different order, I guess. It's it's kind of the same thing, but worded in a different way. Well, I mean, a surprise round would be like our entire party hasn't surprised the entire other party, and we now all get a free action. Oh, see, I don't do that. I only let one, maybe two, do a surprise attack, and they get to choose. Hmm. Like if they're ambushing someone, I just go, okay, it can be the rogue and the sorcerer. They were They were the guys that are trying to do their stuff. And so they just get like a free, one free action. Yeah, it seems pretty uh, clunky to have to roll stealth checks versus perception, but I also don't know if every person in the party would have been rolling stealth anyway. It would have been like a scout, you know. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, It's just weird that, like, the term surprise round is, like, almost, like, ubiquitous in the D&D community. Yeah. But it's not technically uh, raw. (laughs) Interesting. When we talk about experience systems in a later episode, I will point out another rule that everyone else is getting wrong. So stay Ooh, tuned. Stay. <laughs> oh. So on your turn in initiative order, um, first the GM is going to roll to determine when the monsters go. Um, high numbers go first. Um, I guess it could be reversed if you like that, but that means your math would be reversed. Anyway, high number oh. goes first. Um, and then the players roll and you will slot them into where they go. So usually uh, high dexterity characters are going to be earlier in initiative and vice versa. Hmm. Yep, and then yep, you yep. just kind of go down the line and uh, until you get to the last person, and then you would go back to the top and you do it again for the next round. Very simple. Yeah, I, I think um makes sense. Does it say in there um, the time? Because people, I, I've heard people playing with this, te- technically each round of initiative is six seconds. Oh, um, let me see. It says that you get, you know, one action, one bonus action, and you can end up move action. Oh, yeah, and here it is. It's it's in, uh, the section is called The Order of Combat. Very early, it's like on the first page of the chapter. A round represents about six seconds in the yeah. game world. Yeah. So, um, I think that's a good rule of thumb, um, just to give your players, especially if you have a player that goes, okay, I jump up here, here, then I do a double backflip and stab them in the back, and then jump from them, and it's like, okay. What could you, what of that, of your dream there, could you do in six seconds? Um, and I think it's a really good way to um, make things, uh, let the players have kind of a, a little window to work with. Um, it's almost like, okay, the camera pans towards you and it's going to be there for six seconds. What are you doing? Um, and I like that, that it gives that, that amount of time. I've seen people play with this though and make it lower the amount of time to make combat um quicker or, or make it longer to allow people to do crazier stuff like 10 second rounds mm. um but um yeah yeah it's i think a good little window to give your players room to, to work in i think that combat in 5e is probably the most similar in a lot of ways to the old game because in the old game um when you get your your movement speed for your your character it's um i believe what do they say? What's the math there? One third of that, if you take that big number and, and one third of that, would be your round to round movement speed. So normally your movement would be like 130 feet, 160 feet, something. 
Um, and then you would crunch it down to get your uh, 30 or 40 feet per turn. Huh. Yeah. But what we've lost now is you don't have a movement speed that is in the much bigger um, denomination of time. Curiously enough. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Mm. So I think people get it. And it's just pretty simple. It's just the order you go in combat. And it's determined by your character's abilities, mostly your agility and any other things you have. Um, there's a number of things you can do on your turn, which includes actions, bonus actions, and so on. I don't know if we need to get that granular, because if you're listening to the podcast, you probably know. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm excited to talk about alternative uh, initiative systems in other games and other versions of D&D. Let's hear them. All right, the first I want to talk about is from the old game. Um, if you remember, Dungeons & Dragons was a mod of a mod. First, we had a game um, called Chainmail which was Gary Gygax's like, uh, uh, miniature combat game set in medieval times. He made a mod of that that was sort of like a fantasy, and so you could have what he called superheroes, which are wizards like Gandalf or, or whoever you want, um, dragons and dwarves and stuff like that. Um, and so when he made D&D, really you're just playing as one of these superhero units, and that's why you have more health, because in that game, all of your units had one health. So if they take a hit, they just are taken off the battlefield. Hmm. The way they handle movement in a, uh, a tabletop uh, what do they say, a miniatures battle game, is you have rounds of things. So in round, like the first part of a round would be movement. So all of your units move, and then all of your uh, opponent's units move. And then you would have ranged attacks, and then you resolve all of that. And, and you just go down this list resolving everything. So it's not like my units all get to move, all get to fire, and all get to retreat or whatever, because that's, that's more like it is now. So um, the old game is going to look like this. I'm taking the text from the basic and expert set of D&D. Um, so here's how it works. Let's say you uh, round a corner. You have your party in your dungeon. You're in your right marching order. Your tanks at the front. Your wizards at the back. You come across a gang of goblins. Classic dungeon fare. In 5e, everyone would now roll into initiative, and you would resolve just as you would expect. In the old game, in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons and before... They have a very specific sequence of events. Here it is. First, everyone rolls, like, it's just based on your side, first of all. Each side rolls a d6. There's no initiative modifier. It is just a naked d6. Whoever goes first, or whoever rolls higher, goes first. And if they tie, they they resolve simultaneously, and I don't really know how that works. But anyway, we're just going to pretend that we won the initiative roll. First, um, if you you have to declare your action. So before anything happens, even before you roll initiative, everybody on your team needs to declare their action. So they're going to say, I'm going to run in there and hit them. I'm going to put my shield up. I'm going to start casting a spell. And you must declare that you're casting a spell um, first before anything else. Oh, and you can't change it. Yep. So if the, situ the situation on the battlefield changes and you're like, oh, I was casting a spell, you don't have to say what spell it was. Um, but maybe you would change from casting magic missiles into something else. To shield. or Yeah. Um, but you just have to commit early. And so, to me, this resolves some of the gaminess of D&D, because if all of your team is moving first, like there's a certain way, an optimal way to move in, because the allies, let's say I'm 30 feet away, or 60 feet from enemy, I move 30 feet on their turn, they move 30 feet, and now they get to hit me, right? So, anyway, there's some tactical weirdness that comes with turn-based stuff. I think that this system helps it a lot. Okay, whatever. So we declare actions, we declare spells, and then... Um, we would make all of our movement, so my side makes all of our movement first, and then their side would move. 
and then we make all the missile attacks, and then they do the same. And then we cast the spells that we declared before. This is when they go off after range, and at the very end, melee attacks happen. Isn't that strange? That is. I feel like the the intent is there for making making it more real-time, but... Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, that is really interesting. It it seems to solve a problem, but in doing so, it just uh, slows it down. So I have played in an old school game with these rules, and I found it to be incredibly fast because so much of the really? slowdown in combat is people deciding what to do based on the changing conditions of the battlefield. Like, oh, well, I was going to cast this spell on them, but now something has changed and I want to reconsider my move. And so that analysis paralysis and that consideration is what's going to make the game slow. In this situation, it's modeling real life a little better because we're having to make our decisions before we have any information. There's no update. It all resolves at the same time. So even though the melee fighters can see that the ranged and and spells have gone off, like if you had said, oh, I'm just going to stay and and defend the wizard, like you wouldn't, you know, so it, it makes you choose suboptimal decisions theoretically because you don't yeah. know what's going to happen yeah because if you choose to shoot a fireball and then the everything know, the moves other guys, out of the way yeah or no no like they would might move into it too like it, it always is risk everything has a more inherent risk which is true for like um real-time strategy based instead of turn-based right uh, so i, I, I can see it going for that it I makes like it that. more chaotic and i as i've said many times on this show I love suboptimal decision making, especially when uh, players don't have perfect information. Yeah, David, what are your thoughts? I think it's interesting. It's definitely more of a gamey um, initiative system, definitely more so than Five E, where you have to load your actions beforehand before you can actually see what you want to do. Yeah, you don't have the you and you don't have the option to really analyze and make decisions based off of what you're based off of what's happening you just kind of have to predictively make decisions uh-huh. and i think that that models real combat like that chaos where like there's an enemy and we're all going to go like if you try to model that in 5e and you just like i've seen people try this where they say you, you can only talk for like six seconds like you can only plan in real life for six seconds and you have to go because there's always a certain amount of strat- strategy and table talk but mm-hmm. in this case like you could you could do that but then you don't know what's going to happen Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a strategy game a couple years back. Um, it had some some name like uh, Frozen Realm, I forget. But you're essentially a SWAT team going through a building, and it's turn based. But um, you don't know what the enemies are going to do, and then it resolves simultaneously. And so that that game actually drove me nuts because I'm like, okay, I'm going to go flank them on this wall, and then all the turns resolve, and they move out of the flank oh, as I move into there. it. Yeah. Um, I'll see if I can put a, a note to that game and, and or a link to that game in the show notes. Right, the next one I have, I think this will be Jake's favorite. This is from oh, a game yeah. called Dungeon World, which has no initiative at all. Um, the way this works, I have to explain a little bit about the system before I can explain initiative. So, um, instead of a d20 to resolve tasks, this game uses two d6. Every roll, every result is going to provide one of three outcomes, and that is a complete failure. Because remember, a 2d6 means you're rolling on a bell curve. There's a distribution of results. The lowest result, which is like 6 and under, is a total failure. Um, 7 to 9 is what they call like the middle result, which is success with a cost. There's a drawback. And then anything higher than that is uh, a pure success. It's not a crit necessarily, but you get exactly what you want without a drawback. So when you're doing Dungeon World, which is already more of a storytelling game compared mm-hmm. to D&D, which is why I'm just baffled that 
Jake doesn't play it. But anyway, um, it just rolls the same exact way the game is running. Uh, it rolls into initiative. Or it rolls into combat. And they say that you are panning the camera and shining it like David described for uh, the Avengers movie, uh, Infinity War. And the the only time that monsters will get to attack your players is when players roll that six and under result. So that's what's keeping you honest, right? Because you can have players saying, like, oh, I do this and I do that. But they have to roll and you have to resolve. And as soon as they roll a six and under, the monster makes a move. And so... Um, it just, it's amazingly fast. It's really cinematic. Um, I do find that it can be chaotic because players are just trying to talk and do more by being louder and more aggressive. Um, but it, it works amazingly well. Yeah, I, I really like that. I, yeah, I like the whole idea of just infusing initiative with more cinematic mm-hmm. stuff. Like like almost you lassoing each player's uh, theater of the mind and kind of controlling it like a cinematographer. Um, I think it's really essential for initiative, um, and especially tran like transitioning from one player to another, to a monster, to another player. Um, yeah, I, I, I've played this once or twice and really loved it. Um, it does suffer from what you said, like shy people are kind kind of be boxed out if they're not, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, assertive. Um, but I mostly play with assertive people anyway, so, um, (laughs) I, I can't foresee that being a problem, but yeah, I... I really like I I love Dungeon World so much, and it everything feels so intuitive. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think for me the interesting thing about it is that the monsters act on players' failures, which is really cinematic and interesting because it's kind of like uh, like I, I we keep going back to it, but in Infinity War when a, when a character makes a move that and it and it doesn't work out well, you can see the enemy counterattack. And it's just so much more cinematic that way than yeah. my turn, your turn, like that. So if you're looking for a system that models something that is more cinematic or role play focused, the the Dungeon World initiative and combat turn basedness is much more of that nature. Mm-hmm. See, I I love this because I think it makes sense. The more I think about it, like think, say you're a knight fighting a crocodile. Like, if you approach the crocodile, like, really, unless you're just being really dumb, there's no way the crocodile should ever even be able to attack you if you're moving right. The only way it can is if you, like, swing your greatsword at it and miss, and then it attacks. Like, it just, it flows naturally. It creates an opening that somebody would exploit to hurt you. Yeah. I I really like that. I I think just to clarify, because I'm realizing that I may have described this a bit wrong, the monsters get to attack you if you roll the middle result or the lowest result. Um, they make what's called a soft move on the middle result because like you hit them, but they're going to hit you back or, or you know try to knock your weapon away. But if you roll that really low result, that's when you make what they call a hard move. Ooh. And that is um, typically when I would forecast a big hit. So um, instead of being like, oh, right away, the giant stomps on you and you die. Um, it's like you see the giant hauling his foot back and he's going to kick at your your cleric unless oh. you do something. And so it, you're... Yeah. You're like forecasting these big things, and it's always moving the action through this uh, environment, and it's it's it flows so well, you guys. I love I feel it. like it takes a pretty good DM. It does. You have to be so on it and imagining it so well and communicating very quickly compared to D and D five, where it's gonna. There's a lot more downtime in combat where you're just considering your next move. Yeah, yeah. I um, uh, I think I include more of this dungeon world um than I think um. A lot of times if my players roll a nat one, 
uh, I will I will allow the enemy to like get a free attack on them, and I know mm. I'll get crucified um, by saying that because people are just like, no, that one should just be nothing. Um, but I, to make it more cinematic, I kind of feel like that dungeon world um, failure equals enemy success. Um, I like putting that into my games by like making that ones allow the creature to maybe get a free uh, grapple roll on you or something, um, just to. To make it feel a little more chaotic and cinematic. I think Mike Morales would approve of your methods, Jake. I really do. Well, let's... Mike, if you're out there, uh, <laughs> please Mark, tell me if you're you hearing this. Oh, okay. <laughs> the next one is my split initiative that I found online. I can't source it, but I didn't make it up. That's for sure. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, go listen to the House Rules episode. The crash course of it is just that... Um, Instead of having everyone roll, I have you either roll higher or lower than the monster. And if you're higher, you can go in any order you like. And if you're lower, the same situation. So it's uh, just faster, but it still suffers from the same kinds of problems that just basic D&D 5 combat suffers from. Honestly, yeah. if you're looking to speed up 5e a little bit in terms of initiative, this is probably the best way of doing it. Because it's it's so much easier to just say, here's the target number. You either go before it or after the monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but simple, very easy. So I guess it, kind of talking about initiative in regards to house rules, how do you guys handle players that uh, maybe have a little bit of analysis paralysis um, and just take a long time trying to figure out what they can do? Do you have a personal timer on each of your <laughs> players or do you say, all right, you got 10 seconds or else you're going to lose your turn? Like, How do you handle slow players? It's not been an issue in any of my games because players are pretty decisive. Um, I, I can speak to how I would resolve it. Um, I've read online that some people will say if you can't make your move in 10 seconds or whatever amount of time you want, you just take the defend action. Oh, you just I thought you were going to say you just administer a small electric shock. Well, that too. They... <laughs> That's implied. <laughs> I feel like it'd be more interesting to give them disadvantage. Oh. Because then it's like they be, like in the battlefield, it's like you can't really make up your mind. So like when you do actually decide to do something, you're like kind of panicking. Okay, that's so interesting. I would that's that would be my solution. Is just mm. if you can't make your if you can't decide what you're gonna do in thirty seconds, then you get disadvantage on your actions. Right, but then what if it's way longer than thirty seconds? What if it's like five minutes? Then you'd lose your turn. Yeah, yeah. It just depends on the player, um, and uh, and the game and my mood, I guess. <laughs> what about you, Jake? Uh, I, I really haven't had that problem uh, myself. Uh, new players will oftentimes take a little bit to get up to speed to understand how 5e works. But um, yeah, I would just, um, I would say less of allowing them to take the defend action, which seems a little too uh, g- generous. And then also David seems a little too punishing. Um, <laughs> I'd probably just say you lose your turn if you don't. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Like. Hardcore. Yeah, because it's just, I don't know. Wait, losing your turn is better than having disadvantage? Oh, I thought you meant they would get disadvantage on any of their uh, reactions for the whole next round. Oh, no, no. No, it's oh, just oh. on that turn, their action would have Oh, okay, I like that. I like that. Then. Yeah. I thought um, you were gonna you were really putting their, their feet oh, to the fire. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Jake's like, I think David's thing is too harsh. I would just kill the character completely. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay. That's less harsh? I would, yeah. I, I didn't know you were. I didn't know you liked table. disadvantage that little. I would kill <laughs> half the characters at the table um, at random, even, even the younglings. Oh yes, yeah, especially the younglings. <laughs> the next one I want to talk about is Savage Worlds, my old first love. 
Um, their, their initiative was interesting. They used playing cards. And so at the start of the round, everyone is dealt a playing card, if I recall. Uh, you keep it face down, and you go around the table calling the next highest number, and then if a person has that, they flip their card and they go. And at the end of their turn, they hand it back to the DM. And that every round, you deal them a new card. So it keeps the combat very fast. Um, I don't know how you would influence modifiers. I think there was a feat or something that would let you draw two cards and keep whichever one you want. Weird. Um, but it changes every round. But you're not really having to roll dice or write anything down. Huh. Uh, I, the thing I like about this is it's very simple. All you need is a deck of cards. And it kind of makes for a more looser system. So if you're not looking for something that is as crunchy as 5th edition... And you kind of still want something with a little more gaminess than the uh, role-playing nature of what Dungeon World has to offer. Then this is a pretty middle-of-the-road solution to that where you just kind of quickly deal out some cards. Especially if you're looking to play some impromptu D&D &D, mm -hmm. you know, with your friends. This is a great solution. Yeah. The last one I want to talk about will also take the longest to talk about. This is Mike Merle's Greyhawk Initiative System. Very interesting. Um, I had Every time I learn more about this, I think to myself, should I try this? It seems crazy. Uh, and then I watched Matt Colville had a video talking about why he was excited to try it. And that made me excited to try it. The way it works is, um, if I may pull apart the... Uh, the game design is a lot. It's a PDF, a free unearthed arcana released geez, uh, July 10th of 2017. So this thing is as old as David at this point. Oh. <laughs> when he was sprung from the ether. Yeah, when uh, he was born from the rules. Born from the darkness. I was born in the rules. I was born in the rules, molded by them. You, your bane is like... <laughs> It's, a little, it's like a little bit of Joker in your vein, you know? Aww. All right. I've never heard those words in a sentence before. <clears throat> so now, uh, important to note that initiative runs from low to high, with low numbers being better, being earlier. In it's like golf? Year. Yeah, sure. Uh, and obviously low numbers are slower. It's going to have variable turn order. So um, from what I understand, depending on if you're using a weapon or a like, small or large weapon, a spell, moving, whatever, then you have to roll a certain size of dice. So the fastest actions, like attacking with a dagger, um, would be a d4. And so you're much more likely to go early in combat. Um, and then as things get slowed down, I think spells are a d6 or a d8. Um, you're likely to be going later. And so because you're re-rolling the order every every round and you're declaring your actions so you're like i know i'm going to move and then attack with a dagger you're going to be faster um and so it might change depending on the state of the battlefield what you want to do on the next round because maybe you're like okay this boss isn't going down anytime soon i'm going to do my big heavy attack you can save it for later and roll that big d12 to swing your great axe or whatever hmm there's a lot That's more to it than that but it uh it's interesting it would change combat a lot i guess mike morales was pretty bored with initiative himself and that's why he developed these rules yeah i feel like if you played that way from the beginning it would it would fit but that would be a weird transition because i i feel like um you know a lot of times big hulking barbarians um don't want to be slowed down by whatever huge thing they're swinging you know so uh here's the initiative dice size so ranged attacks are d4 movement is a d6 uh, swapping gear and small actions are free. You can just do it right away. 
A melee attack is D8, and casting a spell is D10. So it almost looks like he's following that same old school D&D speed, or like the resolution order. Oh, yeah. Um, and then obviously if you're combining actions, like moving and then doing a ranged attack, I, I think you would roll them both. Hmm. Interesting. But I'd have to read the whole PDF. You can find this for free online. I recommend reading through it and seeing what you think. He has um, details for like what a surprise look like, um, how to do reactions, multiple actions, and all that stuff. It's it's definitely different. I'd be yep. interested in trying it at some point, just because mm-hmm. I think it would be fun to see how planning your actions before combat or before they were resolved would change the game because essentially you're splitting the game up into declaring actions and then resolving actions. Mm -hmm. And because of the way 5e works right now, it's you declare what you're going to do, it's resolved, and then the state of the battlefield changes, and then the next person goes. And because it changes so often, it constantly gets slowed down with people deciding what they want to do. Whereas if the battlefield is only changing or resolved once each round i can see how that can potentially speed it up yeah even though it is you're spending a little more time declaring your actions and a little more time resolving them everything is kind of because it's condensed into one phase it it kind of it's like it yeah. saves you time because it's changing like that like you said that aspect of of declaring and resolving yeah but then i think you're spinning it again because you're uh, you're spending your saved time with now re-rolling declaring and like you know figuring out who's going next um here it says d- casting a spell is d10 i would probably make it if you cast a cantrip it'd be d6 so you Ooh. have that that option of like i need something fast right now because mm-hmm. we can't let this guy go again and i think the tactical um verisimilitude would be delightful <laughs> like, i want to yeah. try this for sure um when the rules came out two years ago uh the internet exploded with every reason why this is terrible and you should never do it but then the people who actually tried it in general, from what I understand, really liked it. So uh, your mileage may vary. So that is how initiative works in other systems. Um, as you can see, there's a lot of wiggle room in here to try out different things. Um, and as you've heard, a lot of us have hacked or house-ruled our initiative. Um, briefly, I just want to kind of describe like what I look for in a good initiative rule set, and, um, and we can kind of go around and talk about that. Yeah. So as I've said with my split initiative, I'm always trying to speed up combat. Um, I'm in, in the, the, what do they say? I'm with Jake because <laughs> I think that when you say roll initiative, there's something that just can lose all the momentum of the moment you were in. Yeah, it's like you're covered in molasses all of a sudden. Yeah, and it's it can just suck all the air out of the room sometimes when players are having a really good flowing um like they were in the zone you know and not always that's not always true but um for me it has been true so when i'm house ruling it's going to be for speed and i want it to be easy easy and fast i think one point i want to make is the term role initiative is really loaded um and i think you should use it uh well like it should be something that's like all right roll initiative and people should be like oh like or like Mm. even ending a session on that like if you don't have time you start the combat next session um but just saying okay guys uh i guess uh roll initiative like i don't know that's when i feel like it takes the the air out of the room like roll initiative should be used as like a declaration of a transition into more of a game i guess and uh i don't know it should should be wielded as as an interesting fun transition as opposed to like a clunky one Mm. that's interesting because it's 
for you, it's more of like you're you you're starting something different. Like you're you're beginning combat. It's like a big like event to go yeah. into combat. Yeah. No, that's interesting. It's, it's really like um have you guys heard of chess boxing? No. Uh, so it's it's basically they do it one round in a boxing ring where they're just boxing. Then they sit down and play one round of chess. <laughs> and they go back and forth doing that. Um, and you win if you get if you checkmate them or knock them out. Jeez. And so it's really interesting. That's what I feel like um uh that that's what I feel like combat is like for my games because combat is so much more gamey and my roleplay is so much more uh theatrical that like it does feel like I'm going from like boxing to playing chess. <laughs> and it's like it, it is a real a, a kind of a big ch- transition. And so mm-hmm. kind of um playing with that and making making it known that like the game is kind of changing we're playing more of a game now is i think important to do that's cool uh, i kind of like that uh one of the things that i want to look for in a an initiative system that i haven't quite found yet is something that isn't that allows for a smoother transition from role play to combat where it doesn't feel like you're entering something new so it's kind of like the opposite of what you want jake where you you want a completely new thing and it's a it's a game now. This yeah. is this is you go and it doesn't feel like anything different and than a social encounter. It's just kind of it kind of flows together. Huh. Where, where combat still feels like you're in that role play mindset, but there's still kind of order to it. So that's, that's what I, I want to try to find balance in an yeah. initiative system where I can yeah. There's one system that I didn't talk about called the Index Card RPG, and his solution, like for David's problem, mm-hmm. um, is that the entire game runs in initiative all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but he just changes the time increment. So when you're out of initiative, like if you're traveling the countryside, it might be days. Yeah. Uh, like your turn is days. Um, then what do you do for the next week? Um, and then it zooms in. So maybe if you're just traveling uh, through a dungeon, it would be ten minute turns when, when you're out of combat, and then obviously in combat is six seconds again. Yeah. So, um, but that's weird too because I think that the conversation of D and D can be free flowing and like yes. anybody can jump in, and it's it's weird to uh, to constrain everyone all the time however we did run a cthulhu index card rpg and you guys didn't seem to notice oh my gosh yeah that's mm-hmm. true mm-hmm. well that wraps up another whoa, whoa, episode whoa, whoa, whoa. we're gonna talk about the creature feature oh. for this week's creature feature we're talking about merfolk and tritons tritons and the apparent difference between them yeah oh. so originally I was going to write uh, an entire creature feature on merfolk and I learned there's only one creature that is merfolk in the entire monster manual and on D&D Beyond and they're like a low CR freaking like 1/8 CR creature wow with like a paragraph of text written about it <laughs> interesting what I did find is the tritons are just essentially the same as merfolk um and they have legs unlike merfolk um and they're much more interesting and they're a playable race Aren't, aren't uh, they yeah, just that? Okay. Aren't they just that similar to that guy in Waterworld? <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen Waterworld, David. I have seen Waterworld <laughs> at least three times. Where are they even from? Bolos. Bolos. From Bolos. Okay, great. Let's talk about merfolk. So merfolk are mermaids, right? Um, or mermen, the, the mer children. The gender non-specific term would be merfolk, Jake. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm just including the various uh, the various pronouns. <laughs> Mer person. Uh, 
coincidentally, the art for a merfolk is a mermaiden. Uh, however, she looks more like a naga, if you're familiar with them from World of Warcraft. Ooh. Oh! Uh, instead yeah. of a fishtail, they have kind of like this spiky, strange, uh, I would, like an eel tail, perhaps. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, merfolk are, uh, where's the CR? They're a 1-8 CR, very low-level amphibious creature. Um, the lower body of a fish, they live in tribes, and that's about all you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so tritons are the the beefed up version of this. They, they are they are essentially Aquaman. Yes. Uh, so like Atlanteans, underwater society. Yes, very powerful, advanced society of people who live in deep water. Mm-hmm. Merfolk live in the shallows. Okay. Seems like a tough place to live with the tides all changing all the time. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, it's like in Aquaman, like the the more fish like people. Um, what I well, those, those were like monsters, Jake. I haven't seen Aquaman, so. <laughs> oh well. Well, Wait, folks, those... uh, David's off the show. <laughs> those were the good guys, though. The the monsters well, who were trying to kill the heroes. Not nice the try. trench. Yeah, that's what no. I'm talking about. The trench. No, the one who's like the the father is killed in front of her. Spoiler alert. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa! I haven't even seen it, Jake. I don't care. It's, it's been in theaters them. for fuck. It's out of theaters. <laughs> I'm waiting now. for it to be on Redbox. <laughs> okay, cool. Like so, but isn't that Aquabox? like that kind? Uh, yeah, actually, yes, because they they were more much more fish like yes. human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, <laughs> we know that tritons are what I'm calling the deep sea crusaders. They really believe that the above water what do they say the the mainlanders surface dwellers surface dwellers they're uh inferior in every way and must be conquered flood mm. the earth <laughs> cover the earth with aqua with agua delicioso agua man so, I mean, to... <laughs> aquafina man aquafina man <laughs> why did that sponsorship happen <laughs> aquafina if you want to hit us up uh yeah, go on jake go on so um I mean, this brings up a lot of implications of, like, underwater nations in general. Um, the same way, like, the movie Aquaman does or any, um, yeah. Like, Atlantis existing and still existing causes a slew of, like, weird problems um, that you kind of have to address. So, like, do you guys have, like, in your world building, have you ever included vast underwater empires or even, like, cities under the sea? Rapture. Not yet. Anything like that? I plan on incorporating a more Gungan-like society. Oh, boy. Because we all know they're the superior race. Oh, no. <laughs> this is getting cut out so quickly. <laughs> I'm waiting for a clip of Jar Jar's. No. Or, oh, no, he's cutting it out. There's a lot of uh, prequel memes in these episodes these days. Um, so to answer your question, Jake, no. Um, I need to really sit down and, and write out like the implications of having a race of people who can live in in the sea and are thriving um because i think that mainlanders wouldn't have a chance yeah after a point there must be a reason yeah. they're, they say hidden and secret they say under the sea yeah <laughs> i i really don't know if um if tritons exist in my world like like the more i look about it like i i have not included anything like that i've put a ton of focus on world building over the the course of the last few years and i just haven't included them They're, they've never been an npc um you know i've had them fight you know in the shallows fighting uh merfolk and sea hags and stuff like that but I, yeah I, tritons have there, there's an opening for them but I, i've never really thought about that i've kind of neglected deep sea type stories 
Mm. I'm really wanting to run an aquatic campaign where it's all mm-hmm. around, you know, maritime, like pirates and all of that. And I think Well, that- see, I've done that. But that that seems so much different, like comparing like Pirates of the Caribbean to like Aquaman. Yeah. Because they do have a very different feel. Why not both? I feel like you yeah, you can include them both into it. Like you could have them be discovered by you know, while you're roaming the ocean. Yeah. Or, you know, even just being able to interact with them. Like maybe like in your world, the Tritons control the sea, so they're they're the ones who control aquatic trade. Because they have the advantage in, in water-based combat. Ship. Yeah. So yeah. that would be inter- that be something that you could do. I don't know. There's a lot of interesting implications that you could Yeah, I agree. I, to... I've just neglected <clears throat> it. I think that um, if you read on the Triton race in Volo's Guide, they have some really interesting backstory. Um, I find it compelling. The idea is that Tritons entered the world through portals that are in the ocean. And they're from the elemental plane of water. And so I like the idea, it's almost like a fairy tale thing, like making the ocean even more mysterious where there's um, there's no bottom in a lot of places where it's just this endless portal to... The trench just goes down. Yeah, right. all the way down to like another oh, planet. Scary. Yeah, it's scary. And so occasionally you have these terrible monsters that break out, and the reason the Tritons haven't conquered... And I will cancel the apocalypse. Oh, no. <laughs> yes! Wow. Cut it. Good movie. Cut it. Well, it. Good movie. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I agree. Unpopular opinion. Pacific Rim, underrated. <laughs> yes. Underrated. Haven't seen the second one, though. Either this by, probably like, because the first too. one wasn't good enough to motivate you to go see it. Uh, uh, I mean, it's one of those, like, watching the a movie opposite. Movies. No, like, I, I don't want to see it because I like the first one, and I think seeing <laughs> the second one will make me like the first one less. <laughs> like, man, was I drunk when I saw it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, short answer, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, so if you're going to include Tritons in your world, I think it's important to consider where they come from, where they go, where they come from. From Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right, this episode is full of memes. Yeah, oh, it's, it's our memeiest yet. <laughs> so would you guys, um, if someone says, hey, I really want to pl- play like a Triton Conquest Paladin, um, would you guys like uh, take pause at all? Or would you be like, yeah, awesome. No, I, I uh, have already told my players, any race that is not in the player's handbook is not allowed in my Oh, game. you little, ugh, yuck. Yours, no. It's too much of a purist. <laughs> well, so maybe, have I talked about this in the podcast before? Yes, you, you so, have. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's just, you know, you don't want that, like, cartoon rainbow of, like, I'm a I'm a talking bird, and I'm, like, a fairy demon, and See, I'm a I love sea that. man. I love that. I no. uh, yeah. No, because yeah, then you have to answer the questions like, where are they from, and yeah. how was the world this way? And it just gives me a world-building challenge. Yeah, I I, I find it um, interesting. But yeah, for me, I ask that, because I think I would take pause. Like, I would pause for a second and be like, uh, what? Because <laughs> that, that does take a significant amount of world-building on my mm-hmm. behalf to be like, okay, maybe they were from like a, a massive submarine that came through from the portal of the deep sea uh to the uh, what plane of water yeah um, and yeah you, you could i could make it work but i mean um someone saying they want to be an ostrich or a cockra would probably be easier <laughs> in my world <laughs> I, yeah i think it's interesting because it changes the world that you're in because it's so easy to just have your own vision of what the world is and someone says hey i want to be a minotaur or i want to be a triton and all of a sudden you have to start thinking about these things that you might not normally think of. And it provides more uh, dynamic interaction in your world where there might otherwise not be. 
Yeah. That's true. I can see that where now all of a sudden you have to go out and define this big region of your world because and that's somebody, exciting to somebody me. says that I'm from the depths of the ocean. Yeah. That's what I love that. Like when someone says like, okay, I'm um, a uh, blood hunter tiefling from this part of the north. I'm just like, <laughs> like I get to, you know, go and kind of make their backstory a part of like all the history too. Yeah, it's a fun it's challenge. Fun. I guess it's yeah. just one that I don't always want yeah. in yeah. every new game, uh, but it is a fun challenge. Well, that was our creature feature about merfolk and tritons. If you have an idea for another creature for us to talk about in our segment, email us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 37. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. Follow us on social media. Our Twitter is at VoxArcanaPod. Our Facebook and Instagram are at VoxArcanaPodcast. And our email is VoxArcanaPodcast at gmail.com.